This is a Federal News Network podcast. The role of agency chief information officer is undergoing yet another evolutionary step. The National Science Foundation is joining a small but growing number of agencies remaking their CIO's offices. In his weekly feature, The Reporter's Notebook, executive editor Jason Miller writes about how NSF is rethinking the role of its CIO and how the change is part of a bigger trend. Jason joins me with the latest here. Jason, let's start with how is NSF rethinking the role of CIO? The big change that what the National Science Foundation is doing is they're creating something called the Office of Business Information Technology Services, or BIT Services. That's going to be led by an executive, Tom, who's both going to be the CIO, Chief Information Officer, and the Chief Technology Officer. So in some ways, they will wear three hats that are all very similar. This is much different than the way NSF is set up today. Currently, they're set up with just a CIO, Dorothy Aronson, who we know quite well. She's been on your show. I've done interviews with her over the years, and she's been in that role really since 2017 and, and been at NSF much longer than that. But because of some changes that's happening internally and some external groups that have said, hey, you should really rethink about how you're set up, I think NSF is really making a push to change their CIO's role. They actually issued a job announcement on usajobs.gov back in January 24th for this three-hatted combined position. And so if you're interested, Tom, applications are due February 27th. Yeah, just what I need. Interesting, because the CIO role has changed so much over the years from the computer guy to this managerial type of person that is at the table with top management and with budget authority talking to the secretary. What does this mean for the current CIO herself? Ms. Aronson. She's going to stay as the principal advisor to the agency's director and other senior management on all these matters around IT, but she looks like no longer will hold that title of CIO. Now, part of the reason for this, I think, is not just because Dorothy Aronson is not a, she's a great person. She's done a really nice job of really taking NSF forward. But I think what they're trying to do at NSF is really bring in someone to lead this business information technology services office that will both do strategic direction, understand IT management, but also deal with the data, the systems, the mission delivery, all all these pieces and parts are really a, a much more holistic type of CIO than what we've seen traditionally, not just at NSF, but really throughout the government. And this came about because of uh, two groups, the Evidence and Data Governance Steering Committee and another group, the Business and Operations Advisory Subcommittee, that made these recommendations that, number one, evidence and data should really have a centralized analytics capability and integrated with data and IT and management under one organization. And then the Business and Operations Subcommittee actually recommended that NSF relook at their IT operational structure, they found that a lot of these different pieces and parts are, are separated. They're siloed. One, the CIO really doesn't have visibility, effectiveness. There's not these closer linkages between organizational IT capabilities and business objectives. So I think they're trying to, they're basically what they said was you should bring all this together. And I think NSF, given what's going on with the CHIPS Act, given the some of the other work they're doing, that they've said, okay, this is an opportunity now to relook at our organization. And I think this is what's coming from it, something called the BIT services. And I think, again, we'll see who ends up in that role and how that role evolves. But this is a very interesting change that I think NSF is just one of several agencies that are starting to look at. Could this be because the current federal CIO, Claire Martorana, has been focused on operational change and really somewhere down closer into the weeds, perhaps, than prior federal CIOs that were maybe up in the ether of policy more? I think that's a fair point, and and this is why. Number one, I think what Claire has done, and and I think a lot of agency CIOs are trying to do, is really say, hey, this IT thing's great, but it's really about the business. You hear this all the time. You hear CIOs say, 
I've developed a new organization within my office to really focus on the business side or to really serve the business needs. And, and, and I think part of that is that recognition that they could put out the greatest technology ever. They could buy the, the shiniest object ever. But if, if the business side doesn't understand how to use it, why they use it, if it doesn't impact the way they deliver on mission, it doesn't really matter what you have. It's still going to be, oh, those IT folks aren't, do, aren't helping me. They're giving me or making my job more complex or too much security or, or whatever the, the usual complaint that we've heard, Tom, over the last you know 25 years. And what about industry? Does this track with what we're seeing in the private sector? Because there the CIO role has changed kind of the same way the government has. And it has been through a series of trends over the years from much more on technology. Now the data is coming into it and there's always the business and the budget. I think it absolutely does because what we're talking about here is someone with a broader range of skill sets than someone who's just a quote-unquote typical CIO. I think for years, time we've talked about this and said, oh, the CIO has got to be more than someone who, who understands networks or understands how to make email work. But what I think is happening in the private sector, and, and you can look at a, a September 2022 report from the Government Accountability Office that actually looks at the similarities and differences between the private sector and the public sector CIOs. And I think this just shows how this role is starting to evolve. And just to put maybe a finer point on this, Tom, for instance, GAO looked at and did a survey of private sector CIOs, and they say a critical factor for CIO success is the ability to bridge gaps between the technical and business parts of the company and promote this two-way information exchange. A lot of times the private sector panelists also uh, talked about this idea of shared accountability as part of their business culture. Now, this is not necessarily shared responsibility, but actually accountability. And I think that's a, a key word here where the CIO and the business-centric executives are both understanding how to drive those outcomes, increase revenue, or increase customer satisfaction. Again, this is all from a private sector perspective. When you put the f public sector hat on, and in our case, the federal hat on, I still think you see very similarities where the the new type of CIO that a lot of agencies are trying to hire or have hired or the changes they're making are really focused on that business side, how to drive the uh, the mission side, how to give the mission folks the right technology, the right access to data, uh, not to make cybersecurity so complex or so arduous that they figure ways around it to deal with shadow IT, all these things to create that better user experience in the end. And I think, Tom, to go back right. to your earlier point, that's driven by the White House and their focus on customer experience. I guess the question now is with NSF, NIH, these are relatively small. NIH is big, but it's only part of HHS. Will this trend reach the cabinet level, big CIO, the uh, CFO Act agency CIOs? Still too early to tell, but what we do know, Tom, is one thing is that Congress in the 2023 omnibus uh, bill actually called out three large agency for their giving their CIOs more authorities or better authorities or just at least reiterating the importance of their CIOs. Justice Department, State Department, and the Agriculture Department all had specific language in their parts of the appropriations bill that really said, hey, the CIO needs to be at the table. The CIO needs to be part of the business decisions. The CIO needs to have more authority than just a cursory look at the budget. And, and Tom, you know, I just did an exit interview with Raj Iyer, the outgoing Army CIO. And the reason why he believed it was time for him to leave is because they changed the budgeting process in the Army for the CIO and how they look at technology. And I think that's another key sign that the, the, the way agencies are looking at the role of the CIO has changed. And again, that's why I'm calling this an, a, another step in the evolution that we've seen all the way back to you know 1996 Klinger-Cohen Act. We've seen through the eGov Act in 2003. We saw with Fatar in 2014. And then all these memos that, that, and executive orders that have come up in between them. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. 
Always a pleasure, Tom. And be sure to check out his latest reporter's notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when he'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, 
I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people... We're involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves. I I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.